Hi, my name is Jacob Foss, and I beat the often path by building a company that connects smallholders, women, youth, and refugees in East Africa to some of the largest food companies around the world. How do we eradicate extreme poverty? How do we fix some of the issues of rural communities? Well, Jacob Foss asked himself these questions while he was traveling in Africa, and his answer was to co-found AgriCycle, a brilliant startup that has received millions in funding and is an official partner of the United Nations FAO. What do they do? Well, they connect women, smallholders, and youth in East Africa with global markets. They've helped tens of thousands of people. If you don't know what smallholders are, well, good news, I didn't either. We're both about to find out in just a few seconds. Jacob himself is a remarkable individual. He's been named to Forbes 30 Under 30. We're about to talk about what it means to follow the road less traveled and just as importantly, how we can make money and build a business or a career of meaning so doing. Thanks again. This is the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer, and joining us right now is Jacob Foss. Well, welcome to the show, Jacob. It's an absolute honor to have you here. So first of all, we got to define some terms. What is smallholders? Because that's something that I had never come across until I saw your website. So smallholders is essentially a farmer who has a small plot of land under an acre and they grow whatever they have in the area. Okay, got it. So you yourself are from Milwaukee, right? Yeah. Yep. So how does a guy from Milwaukee end up changing the world on the other side of the globe? <laughs> so after college, I went to school in Madison, also in Wisconsin, straight from college, I had the pre-med undergrad, um, I was thinking med school long-term, but wanted to get away from school. So after college, went to Peace Corps in Ghana in a real rural, remote area, mud hut, straw roof, no electricity type of setup. Um, and from there, those two years, I just saw how much opportunity there is to f- try to tackle the cycle of poverty that strikes those areas so hard. And instead of, you know, going to the doctor's office for my career every day, I figured let's, let's try something else here. I feel like I have an opportunity. And then slowly but surely built some supply chains, made those connections to eventually found AgriCycle. Well, that's fabulous. So what about the Peace Corps made you want to join at that time? Have you always been interested in global issues or was that something that developed in your life? It developed slowly. I had always loved culture and travel. And I actually took a Yoruba class in college, which is a culture and language of Southwest Nigeria. And that opened my eyes to a lot more of Sub-Saharan African culture, specifically Nigeria. And the connections I made and the experience I had there just really stuck with me. And so then I applied to Peace Corps on a whim, kind of forgot about it, honestly. And then as it goes, got the acceptance letter later and then it's like, all right, let's do it. Oh, what? Okay. I guess I'm going back. All right. So was that, that was pretty random. When you signed up for that class, was it just totally on a whim? Was it just to get an extracurricular credit? I mean, how? Yeah, completely. It yeah, was, I know that I was late like... to register and it was one of the last like electives left. And so I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds interesting and different. And so it was just by happenstance. So you're next in a long line of people, myself included, by the way, for whom global travel completely changed everything in your life. So you go, you travel, not knowing what to expect, not knowing what's on the other side. And the result is it changed the trajectory of your entire life forever, basically, right? Yeah, that's an accurate statement. (laughs) Okay, so describe how that process went. Yeah, so just kind of 
starting in Ghana, you know, they just kind of throw you in a little bit of training, cultural immersion, so you don't you know, cross any chief's paths or anything like that on the wrong side. And then just dove in, uh, had my little room, lived with a family, just went to farm every day, tried to prove my worth, if you will, or just like my toughness, I guess, because they, they come in as an uh, American in a very rural area of, of Ghana, right. and they think you're a doctor, they think you're like you have your masters and everything and you're the best business person ever, the best mind, but your body is weak as can be. So tried to kind of reverse that. Like, I can't operate on anybody. Don't ask me to perform any surgeries, but let me like prove myself at farm. So then after that, you just kind of learn like what do they needed uh, or what they wanted, I should say. Um, and then it was simply just a market and yeah. they have resources contrary to some messaging, you know, the media might show of this impoverished Africa that's helpless, you know, right. that misguided media. And donate then, a dollar and that's the end of that. Donate a dollar, yeah. Give your shoes, you know, all right. that. Um, and so just saw how many stories of you dump five tons of rice in the community, thinking you, you're feeding this village now, but those rice farmers now are competing with a product that they make that's literally zero dollars. So like, why would someone continue to buy from them and feed their family? if they just had it for free. Like if you have a pizza that's $10 or a pizza that's a free, you're gonna choose the free pizza. Yeah. So it puts rice farmers out of work. So it, it was just kind of a deeper understanding of, wow, we really mess a lot of stuff up without realizing it because we're, so we're so disconnected. You don't say. Uh, you know, I have to step in though at the beginning of this because on behalf of both the internet and Americans, I have to inform you that legally you're not allowed to care about anybody who's not an American. So, um, <laughs> You know, it's us versus them. We have a country. You're born in Milwaukee, so you're not allowed to expand your worldview. It's it's forbidden. Right. So let's clear that right. up at the outset, right? Because we matter, yeah, exactly. and nobody else does, right? Um, exactly. Okay, so you proved you proved your worth, uh, or you started developing a what I can only assume is just a wildly different set of circumstances, and you started to make a, a set of realizations. So, what were some of the realizations then? I guess that dawned on you, or, I mean, obviously you learned. Okay, my physical body is comparatively weak. I have strengths, I have weaknesses. Some of what they see me as is correct. Some of what they see me as is incorrect. So, like, what was the progression? that made you realize, okay, A, I want to be more involved here and uh, B, that I can be involved here in this very specific way. Right. Right. Some things that just dawned on me through the experience was it kind of started at just like looking at the youth, just interacting with the youth there. The creativity was just off the charts. They would come take a couple like cans, maybe some rubber something and just like what we would do is trash and then collaborate with each other. You know, they didn't have like a iPad to turn to. Um, and would create like a, a usable car that rolled and they could like rig it with a kind of uh, like a trajectory. Like they would rig it with a uh, spring and then like shoot it out. And so they made this like working car out of what we would think is trash. So like awesome. starting at kind of the base of children, it was just a different culture and showed how much like electronics can really just numb our minds. So I was just yeah. like an interesting thing for me. And then going towards, like I mentioned about resources, like there's so many resources there. That was one of the biggest things that I was just totally misconstrued on. And the labor for like, obviously they're super hardworking and like some helpless people um, outside of Milwaukee, right? And then right. <laughs> going with both of those, it's just, it's just so many things over and over that they're so ingenious from their farming adaptations to their irrigation systems they 
make, which just like is basically watering farms in dry season or watering farms in any season. Um, and so just over and over, just, these people are brilliant. And so not that I would have thought anyone else is smarter or dumber. Like I was at least aware enough to know that people are people, but seeing the ingenuity over here was incredible. It's just literally it's just the resources lacking, but the business mindset's incredible. So I got into like jewelry making with, with women. They wanted to make bracelets, necklaces. So it's like connected them with some materials and then they took off from there and like honey keeping, um, bunch of different, uh, like myths that they believe in, or I should say like cultural taboos, um, you know, like shamans and uh, medicine man, like very interesting examples with, with all of that and trying not to step on cultural toes. And I'll just like, I'll stop with this last piece of taking what I view as like my, how I was raised and not overstepping and projecting on others. Like corporal punishment is, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I had to check myself so often of intervening with people who are in a different culture and that's their, that's their background. And sometimes I step, I tried to stop it, but then the beating the next day would be 10 times worse. So I realized, wow, I put myself and thought I knew what was right for this kid or whoever it was. And then, you know, it, it just got that much worse because of me trying to like show, I don't know what I was trying to prove, but yeah. So just like interesting things, like stay in your lane, but also try to make a difference how you can. Yeah. And that's of course, you know, the general problem with us and try to like trying to help and making things 10 times worse. That's a theme that we've said, you know, I mean, one can hope that a lot of these good causes and charities, of course, are intending to make things better, that they're not so in- evil or cynical, but of course right. there are knock on consequences. So were you yourself in any kind of digital detox during this time? Did you abstain from social media, from the internet or? Yeah, not even by choice necessarily. I did enjoy just getting away from all that in general, some of the toxicity that might come with it. But there was like a a, uh, a mound on one of the farms uh, and a watermelon patch that I like could get enough service to make a WhatsApp call home to okay. my family or you know whoever. Um, and so oh, it's a walk guys. half a mile maybe. Yeah, exactly. It was like <laughs> I don't know. It, it was hilarious because all this the town is just like. Hey, you need to make a call. Go to the watermelon patch mound. Go to the watermelon like, patch oh, mound. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. You can't make <laughs> so, that stuff up. Yeah. It's they just, you know, they know exactly what they, where the spots are to get what you need. Okay. So your life has changed. Your priorities are being changed. And I guess let's take a quick step back here to tell everybody about what AgriCycle is and about where your product is now. So we have some context here. So radical changes what is the product or solution or the set of solutions that you are offering at this point in time reaching you know tens of thousands of people in east africa definitely so it's a a global network and supply chain that makes those connections right from resources that would otherwise go to waste and people who are suffering from extreme poverty to areas of high buying power and making that connection so we have three brands that do that. And the first one I was taking through an example to kind of highlight what the company does is called Jolly Fruit Co. It's a tropical sun-dried fruit of like mango, pineapple, jackfruit. So we take mangoes. There's a training component that starts it all off of how do you meet global food safety standards, right? You're in rural reaches of East Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, um, Uganda. How do you make sure that those processing sites without what we would say is like a five-star manufacturing facility can go through that whole supply chain and still meet, you know, the gold standards. So 
rigorous food safety and processing training right off a couple months to onboard these members. And then from there, they take the mango slices and put them through a dehydrator that we engineered. And this dehydrator is mobile and kind of back to our conversation of just assuming we know what's best, the world revolves around you know, America. Um, and USAID would give like large dehydrators that are great in capacity, but it'd be stagnant. And so it's put on this land who's owned by a man almost always. And then the women who were the target beneficiaries say, like, oh, great, thank you so much. You know, USAID leaves, pat themselves on the back. And then the man comes out of the shadows and goes, great, thank you. You can get off my land. Thanks for the prize. And like, wow. legally, he's right. So everyone else is screwed. Okay. So we made, well, we figured that out and made these like single person size dehydrators that can scale through sheer numbers of the workforce and can be mobile. So there's no land claims. So anyway, that's like the kind of the core of, of the fruits and the other products we have is take it, put this in, in this dehydrator that's as decentralized as possible, you know, wherever you go, it goes. And then we aggregate it from there through a series of aggregation centers, just kind of getting farther away from like farm gate closer to the facility where we do the final packaging food safety processing um closer towards that like five star food safety center in in nairobi that is so that's that's the kind of journey of the fruit in east africa and we export it to wherever the client is and that's a cpg so um consumer packaged good for that you would see in retail shelves okay. dried fruit bag um, on that it has the qr code that tells the story of the actual women who farm and process that particular bag. So every bag has its correlation with a group throughout the, that region and you know all these tens of thousands of smallers that we have, microprocessors, um, that just tells their story of the impact and then has the metrics of food waste and socioeconomic benefits. So that's Jolly, that's the first brand. And then that concept of taking food that would otherwise go to waste and then adding value to now making a product is what we do for all the other brands. So, so a friend of uh, my co-founder came to us and said, hey, you know, coconut shells burn really well. Maybe yeah. you should turn it into a grilling briquette. I'm like, all right. <laughs> As founder, like young founders, uh, I was like, yeah, of course, it's brilliant. Let's do it. Um, so we worked on the R&D bit of that, did some university testing with the claims of like how much better it burns in terms of temperature and duration than like Kingsford per se, and how much cleaner it is too, because you're you know, on detergents and chemicals. It's just coconut shells and cassava starch. And so then we launched that brand, and that's called Tropical Ignition, um, selling an REI for that and growing that distribution. So that's just a really cool one that I just would never have, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of any of this right away, a couple, 10 years ago, whatever, but that one definitely like selling charcoal. Why would I do that? Right. But you know, combats deforestation, saves trees, protects the planet and greenhouse gas emissions too. So that one's a really cool environmentally beneficial one. And then our third one came kind of out of need based on these, the members in our network of saying, hey, you know, we have really good impact because the Jolly Fruit can give seven to 10 times the daily wage uh, previously. Wow. Uh, really good economic impact, but we only can make that impact when it's the season of the fruit. Uh, Is there yeah. any way you guys can do a year, year long impact? I'm like, shoot, that's a really good point because most of these farmers are now relying on us, right, for, for their income. So they have a really good thing going and yeah. they put all their eggs in that basket as that's just kind of how they have to do. They don't have that many eggs, you know? So we were like, all right, what should we do? So then we just kind of took a 
gaze of all the crops that are grown. There's almost 200 different crops. There's many species and everything, but 200 like food crops that we would know in, in the U.S. and create an ingredient portfolio out of those. So we take that drying step of say green banana or plantain or cassava, and you slice that same kind of thing, put it in the same dehydrator through the same chain, and then we mill it into gluten-free flour. So that's kind of the core of that brand. It's called Field Better. It's a, a B2B wholesale. So we we white label, which just means you sell an ingredient that a different brand then puts into a product and puts their label on it. So no one would see AgriCycle or Field Better if it's white label. Just right. Who doesn't know that. Um, and then that whole ingredient portfolio was our, our third and as of now last final brand that we were able to get a lot more volume from these farmers and year-round income. So it's been a great play both from a business sense because instead of a couple containers of this small packaged fruit, we're now able to do as many containers as we want of these much larger volume contracts and orders. And it's also just a lot easier to sell a product and let everyone else worry about the branding and marketing right. and you know ad spend and all that. That's awesome. Isn't really my favorite. Yeah, so it, it worked out. And one of the coolest things I think about that was that that came from the, the you know, helpless people who don't know what's best for them, right? Like right. they literally dictated the direction of our business and it went wow. so much for the better. So that's just a really, I, I love that brand specifically for that. And, you know, I love all of it, but that was, that's just a really cool, like listen to who you're trying to work with. Like people are going to be intelligent wherever you are. And they're going to have good feedback, especially when it's their lives that you think you can like, just it's ridiculous to not. But anyway, um, I know better than you. Yeah. So were you always entrepreneurial? How did you end up in the idea that, okay, I can solve some of these problems and I can build a business doing it because those don't necessarily go hand in hand, especially from somebody from your background, right? Definitely. Who wasn't training to do this as far as I can tell before. Yeah, no, I, it was funny because growing up, I always was anti-business. I was like, oh, these rich people, you know, stepping on each other's necks or whatever to get to the top. Like how terrible I can right. never do that. But then at the same time, and now you're like stepping were... on necks is actually pretty fun. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I see what they were doing, what they were on about this whole time. I love it. Why was I trying to collaborate with people? I should just be subjugating, <laughs> um, subjugating. Yeah, but so but my parents reminded me, like, no, when you were, like, third grade, you would have us buy airheads and candy and gobstoppers, whatever, like, candy you would so you really, were one of those. Would yeah, really get see. you. And you would go resell it on the bus at, like, you know, stupid margin, but maybe a dollar per candy. Right, when you it's were that kid. I, bag. I, yeah, and you. so I'm so I, jealous. <laughs> I wasn't yeah, smart I was, enough to think that way. I didn't think I was either. I don't know. Maybe my dad like implanted it in me without me knowing. Yeah, but, secretly. Yeah, like, you got to pay your I guess just I've always been uh, into you know reselling or okay. making profit somehow without just kind of a game to me at that point. But I guess I was, was interested. Okay, and so you realize. So I guess from a purely technical standpoint, is your business here, or do you have a business over there? Do you have multiple businesses? Like, what's the structure of this organization? Yeah, it's. The global incorporation is in Milwaukee. So it's okay. in the U.S. incorporated company. Got it. And then our subsidiaries, it's just kind of how you navigate the legal right. and structural scene of this is each country. So Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania has, you know, AgriCycle, Kenya, AgriCycle East. They, okay. They're relevant subsidiaries. So you've got to deal with the umbrella of AgriCycle. Many different governments and many different sets of rules yeah. and regulations, which must be a blast. 
It, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, like the employees in respective countries can take care of all that, you know, manage those relationships okay. and take care of those regulations. Uh, growing, like starting off, we all had to kind of put our put our hands in the pot. And yeah, that's just how startups work. But now they know what they're doing, and I can just sit back. Like, Thank you, I appreciate it. I'm not going to do anything about this. You guys take care of it. That's awesome. How many employees or staff or people do you have working on this around the world now? Yeah, so we had at our largest, it was over a hundred. We had about 118, and then you know, COVID and certain things, we just had to slim down the yeah. economy, um, which that was definitely the hardest part of it. Like saying no to people, you know, you're, you're burning paychecks for families, right? It just yep. kills you. Yep. But it's tough. We had to save the company. So yeah, now we're at about 20. So huge cut um, over. You know, that was over a period of time, but. It was interesting how much you can streamline and slim down. I don't feel like we're that much worse off from a labor standpoint. So it's, it's interesting how you're just forced to adapt. And uh, a founder friend of mine was relaying on recently to me saying, you know, money is obviously great, but it allows you to make mistakes. Whereas if you're bootstrapping, you don't have that luxury of making mistakes. You're, you're going to make it work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, now you're just realizing how many people can be replaced by chat GPT. You're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we're not going to hijack this conversation entirely. But uh, okay, so global subsidy, I mean, that's a pretty complicated structure, pretty complicated network. How many years have you been at this then? We officially, the company is about four, four to five. Um, my co-founder has been yeah yeah a co-founder is kind of his college project he's been doing that just it was called blue mangoes back then and just building out slowly this idea of i think we could maybe dry fruit and put some money in people's pockets and then he and i met just also by happenstance a buddy of mine from college was in a pitch competition with him and said hey you know we should we're reconnecting after peace course and you should reach out to him seems like you're doing the stuff that he kind of has a vision for um, and then our visions aligned and, and we had like a four hours conversation. The first time I called him, cold called him up and we decided to be co-founders ever since. That's so cool. So what is it about these ideas? Because I set out on this show to find people doing inspiring things that I believed in and to find people who were, let's call it ethical business people. Or, because, of course, I've acknowledged that making money is important both for us as individuals and like, you know, providing for other people uh, in the world. So the theory was, I'm just going to explore this concept and see who I meet. And interestingly enough, not having sought this out particularly, I've come across people who have used coconut waste in various forms uh, in different businesses, coconut palettes yeah. being one of them, which is brilliant, yeah. uh, coconut coolers being another with nutshell coolers yeah. and Fortuna Cool. So, you know, stuff I never would have thought of before I started this journey of my own. Yeah. Also, I interviewed a guy who, coincidentally enough, a Dr. Klein Elegy, who is using uh, dehydrators to help solve food problems in other parts of Africa, even though he himself, I think, is from Nigeria. So okay. wh where are these ideas uh, coming from? Is it just it's the time for this type of idea or? I think it's a combination of things follow money always. And there's now a focus on investing in climate smart solutions and investing in just Africa as a whole, investing in socioeconomic companies. Whereas, you know, 10 plus, even just 10 plus years ago, it's just, what's my ROI? Like, 
how much of this hundred thousand million dollars is going to be back in my pocket in five to ten years right and that's all that mattered and so i think the biggest drive and it goes hand in hand right like solutions are coming because people are innovative and there's more of a focus in general but also that focus is driving the investment which cycles yep. through um you know the sdgs the the sustainable development goals and climate goals um, Paris Agreement and things like that. Like it's becoming a necessity for the climate side of things. And I think so much of the landscape is focused on, I'd say, Africa just because. Yeah, yeah because that's. Yeah, now, like, uh, open theme. campus in Manhattan. You know, right. Like, what are you going to do? You can provide certain right. solutions that you can't just like go aid agriculture in Manhattan. So it's like an open, open country for the agricultural landscape, at least. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a sex in the city joke in there somewhere, but I'm not smart enough to make it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me I, you know, it escapes me, but, but yeah, it's interesting how these certain ideas, their, their time feels like it has come. And it's, it's, it's sometimes been said that an idea is just waiting for a vehicle, whether you believe in that wishy-washy stuff or not, an idea is just waiting for the right vehicle. And if you don't jump on it, then somebody else will, yeah. because the idea's time has come. And sometimes yeah. I get that sense with, with, with a few of these things. And, how do you feel in terms of, because I see sort of from my vantage point, uh, two paths that are happening simultaneously. I also see the trend that you're seeing with businesses and there's a, a corporate side where people are more interested in investing in these types of sustainable or ethical or climate conscious businesses. And then I see this other trend, which is the social media internet at large trend, which is people who are not only, let's say, unaware of these solutions, but actively angry about and hate and actively negative towards, you know, this globalist uh, agenda or whatever the crazy term is for it. So why are these roads going totally separately? And how can we as individuals trying to make a difference in this world find our lane and peace <laughs> and yeah. you know, be happy? Yeah, I, I'm not going to claim to have like the answer for that. I'll take a stab at it, but um, there's certainly more qualified people for that. But I, I mean, I think politics is is probably the lead driver of that. It's just so polarized and there is a pretty strong tie between the two. I uh, won't go into any of the politics, but sure. I would say that's probably one of the biggest drives. And just with media, people you know, grow their following, their cults in this case, they're on extreme ends or one end is more extreme. And it just drives itself. And then there's the, <laughs> the ability to like hate speech in between. And like that just makes you stand stronger in your own stance, even if you're wrong. And it just, I think media just perpetuates all of it. Right. Um, but then in terms of how you can do something about it, I mean, I, I'm personally not really one for just sending money towards an organization and hope it does well. Right. And it's like if you, you know, if you want to, great. Like it's better than doing nothing, right. probably. But I think getting involved in, in if it's got to be a local community, great. Like go, go get involved and, and meet people. And I think people are going to, the network of people will be the driving force. So maybe it's you go to a network of like even just community cleanup and then you meet a couple people who inspire you to go do a little more. They inspire you to compost and then you like spread that word. I think it's got to be like personally grassroots starting. It's going to take a lot longer. And there's obviously the whole like government's got make the big change and policies and structures. But in terms of like people day to day, join organizations, volunteer a little bit, um, inform yourself as much as you can follow, you know, listen to podcasts like these and just try to find an inspiration. Everyone's going to have their own little unique tick, but 
follow that and don't think there's just like a, a cookie cutter solution for it. It's like, if you're not inspired, it's not going to matter. You're not going to do anything about it. You might try it for a week or two, New Year's resolution, or it's like a one week media trend. It's not going to stick. So right. I say just try to know yourself and follow that. We're trying to find missions here and things that are a little bit better than just making a bunch of money, which yeah. <laughs> is what a lot of other podcasts are all about. Media, yeah. Right. It's like, which right. I, you know, which I, from a certain point of view, I understand, of course. Um, so do you think that the media detox, would you have been as open to this kind of radical life change mm-hmm. if you hadn't had a forced media, social media detox? Just, I've never thought about that actually. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I, I, there's something there for sure. I can definitely believe that, you know, two years of maybe once a day for not even once uh, a week to go scroll social media for a little bit. And even then, like if I had my little, you know, watermelon mountain internet spot, I'm not scrolling social right, media. You're not right? wasting your time. I'm not wasting my time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there was a beauty of, you know, being uncomfortable when you're <laughs> physically uncomfortable when you're uh, having the time to do Ooh, that. I like that. I like the idea of being physically uncomfortable while you're scrolling through <laughs> social media. We should invent that device. It's like, yes, you can do it, but you will be in pain. So your pain tolerance, you know, yeah. what's more important? Yeah. Um, connect a couch that like gives you shocks. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Hey, you can stay on here as long as you want, buddy, but it's going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I'm I'm sure like just being open to thoughts and and people interactions so much more so than hiding behind your screen. That's got to do wonders to openness and just resetting you. Um, So yeah, it's a great, I've never thought about that. I'll think about that more. Well, I'm also kind of curious because, again, you know, my life completely changed. I went on a study abroad trip to Europe, and then I just stayed, yeah. and I met my wife, and my wife was Dutch, and I lived there for nine years. And nice. uh, I think my dad joked when I went on the study abroad trip that I, he's like, oh, you'll just stay. You'll never come back. I th- I never took him seriously, but that is exactly right. what happened. I, I did just you stay do. for almost a decade. Uh and that's the kind of power that travel has and opening up your mind and seeing other cultures and other people and other experiences, which like I'm the biggest advocate for just in general. So let's try, if we can, to imagine a scenario where you didn't do that, where you stayed in Milwaukee. What do you think your life would have been like? Do you think you'd have been an entrepreneur if you'd stayed? I can't. I can't see it. I think I would have, you know, gone to... Northwestern Mutual and nothing wrong with that at all, but that's just a, you know, big bank, big money headquarters in Milwaukee. And that's where a lot of, you know, the talent, if you will, just people in general go. Um, And maybe I would have ventured out. I I would have, I'd like to believe it, but I don't know. Cause once you travel, like, like you're saying, like you're getting it, it's just a cyclical effect. It just goes and goes and goes. You're like, wow, I gained so much personally for that. Learned so much, saw so much and inspired and want to do it more. Um, yeah, I've, all, I've been able to travel like a good amount of country. I'm super fortunate for that. Just mainly starting through this, this work and sub-Saharan African travel. Um, it's on a contract. Just we we me and my my partner bought it. We got a car through the company and just drove sub-Saharan Africa oh, and uh, all sorts how of stuff. Awesome got is that? All sorts of trouble. It was amazing. Being chased down by an elephant at some point, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> chased down by a whole lot of stuff. That's yeah. for sure. Um, and so, yeah, just experiences like that just truly open you up. And maybe back to your question about how do we, as individuals, do more? 
that's not a bad answer. If you have the means, if you're you know fortunate enough to have the means, like try to travel. Um, I think that yeah. just does wonders for. I always think about it: cultural exchange in high school or college when you're still impressionable and you haven't been like molded by right whatever force and shaping factors. Um, just meet someone different than you, live with them, and see what life is right. like. And I feel like the world would be so much more peaceful. It's like kumbaya, but I really think it's true. I also think it's true, and I think there is that sweet spot. And that was, of course, when I got I, I did my first travel in, in college like that. And there is that sweet spot where you're at a young enough age where you have no responsibilities, no care. Like I, I live for in Australia for two months with nothing nice. but a, the price of a ticket in my bank account that I earned from selling cell phones for what was probably minimum wage at Sprint. Wow. So I, I pulled wow. together like yeah. six hundred bucks, and the idiot that I was. I went there with zero additional dollars in my bank account. I bought a ticket and I had nothing else. And somehow I was able to survive and I got a job working illegally. I'm sorry, Australian government, uh, (laughs) washing dishes at an Indian restaurant in the middle of Perth. Uh, But when you're at a certain age, you can do stupid stuff like that. There's a certain age where you don't really need a lot of money. Like Money is not really the prohibitive factor, I would say. At a certain age. Now, if you're older and you have kids and you have a life and all of that, it's a bit tougher, of course. But there is that sweet spot where you can be pretty stupid and somehow survive. And that's kind of like the window that we're aiming at right now. We're like getting people like if you're on the fence, just do it. If you, it doesn't even matter. Just spin a globe and put your finger down and just go. I mean, that's what I did. I didn't know anything about the Netherlands. I didn't have any relationship to this country, no connection at all. I literally just was a random one. I read some reviews of students that had gone before me and they said, it's awesome. Carnival is awesome. I said, what's carnival? Eh, Good enough. And I was on a plane (laughs) and ended up living there for like nine years. So you never know how these things are going to shake out. Right. Absolutely. I mean, being, I'd love to, you know, just, talk as after but just like shooting stories about those but being stupid and surviving i share a quick story on that uh, my buddy and i went kind of our version of studying abroad in college we just did this work exchange program um called what things the worldwide yep. organization a lot of people organic. i know did that yeah, okay love it um so we just bounced around you know farms near major cities we wanted to see but we were in <laughs> we were in venice and we decided not to pay for a hotel that night we were just like we'll sleep in a park sleep in a bench sure. or whatever why not um so why not? Yeah, can't go wrong. And so we we you know find these benches that we're just feeling so proud of, like off the ground. This is beautiful, levitating. And nice. in the middle of the night, uh, I I get woken up by this guy tapping my shoulder, and he goes, "Hey, are you okay?" And you know quickly you you can see he, he's homeless. He doesn't have he's houseless. And I really I, like so we talked for a little bit, and that was his like bench that was where he sleeps and so i was in a position where i'm getting concerned a a houseless person is concerned about my well-being um which i just like and then we had a great conversation you know we had like awesome dude and we just talked for the longest time at at, at breakfast the next morning um but it was just like (laughs) things i mean don't like not always gonna work out so i'm not promoting going and doing that but you can go get your one-way ticket and make it work. Uh, Maybe be a little safer and have a house to sleep in or a shelter if you can. It it illustrates a point that people with nothing often, I mean, that's one of the lessons you learn when you global travel. People will be so generous who have so, so little with their food, with their time. Uh, I've experienced that in every country I've ever traveled to my entire life. People will give you stuff and you, and there is sometimes time where you say like, should you be, 
are you really in a position to be giving me this thing? And but that oh. it's a it's a value that humans have. And whereas social media can make us feel so bad about the state of humanity and the toxicity of of the the psyche of the human spirit, I think travel is the most affirming and loving. Like, that makes you feel the amount of compassion and empathy and love that exists in the world in a way that is just. It's it's a beautiful thing. I mean, who are who are we kidding, right? It's it's the best. Unmatched. Um, when I first arrived in my, the village I stayed in in Ghana, you know, people just came up and brought me gift after gift as right. their offering of you know, hey, you're coming here to hopefully help us. Like we're going to give this to you. And right. I the gifts were I mean I, the the value of it was incredibly high to me. And the gesture was amazing, but I didn't realize the actual economic toll it took on them. Like it was. Sometimes like a month, you know, a chicken or two or, or a goat or, you know, something that it's like a month of income up to a couple of weeks of income at sure. least that they just gave to this complete stranger um, yeah. because that's the yeah. culture. They, they take care of each other. They give. They're hospitable. Um, you imagine like, you know, uh, some even for, foreign exchange student comes into a U.S. household. You give half your month's salary. You give a paycheck right, exactly. or two. Here, like, have no, this, have this Chevy that. Bolt, please. <laughs> As a exactly. sign of... Uh, <laughs> Have have twenty grand on me, um, yeah. But that's that's the kind of thing. Yeah, people with so little are so generous with their time and with their money, and it's 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 incredible and really makes you wonder about okay, what am I being generous with with myself, and yeah. what how do I be a better version or be worthy of that, Absolutely. right? Which I know you've you've gone on. So you know, four years, not a lot of time to achieve a lot of the stuff that you have done, and you're a, a partner with what is it the uh, the UNFAO, the Food and Agriculture. Uh, yeah. What does yeah, FAO yeah. stand for again? Food and Agriculture Organization? Uh, food and Agriculture Organization okay. of the United Nations. Right. And you have, you have. I mean, you mentioned earlier that taking on funding is a chance to make bigger mistakes, of course, and faster. Yeah. But you've also uh, taken on some funding I've seen, even maybe several million dollars at some point. So how yeah. did you snowball into that from what began as a tiny little seed in a watermelon patch? <laughs> right, right. Um, so it's kind of split my, my co-founder. And so I took more of the like logistics, build the structure, like execution side. And then he almost entirely was responsible for bringing in the money based on an idea and, you know, the structure that I built. So it was that one, two punch. And I got to give all the credit to him for being able to literally sell an idea and, you know, a great team and structure we had, but it wasn't, it was pre-revenue for our first round um, for the most part, Kickstarter, but then some pitch competitions, but like not real revenue. Um, and he got us enough to, you know, it was a team effort for sure. Like, you know, a team, yeah. everybody, but just don't want to like, not trying to take credit for me because I wasn't as involved. Um, and yeah, from there, that was what got us to the point of, built up enough, was able to sell that idea and what we built. And then from there, try to be as strategic and smart, even though we like, we never owned businesses before. We didn't even really work for businesses. We, we right. neither of us had a, you know, beat, you know, off the path, um, very much so our journey. And so we didn't have the like corporate background to turn out, what should we do here? Yeah. And I always think that that's one of the themes where you get this from guests all the time of, I think, going through the traditional path is, is beneficial and certain, you know, you learn things, absolutely any path you go on, but you're not limited to what should be done. 
if you don't know there's like traditional structures and i always think of it with founders some of the most brilliant ideas is coming outside of the confines of a 20-year banking background or you know you might make half a million dollars but you're wonderful like perfect but you're gonna think like that most likely um you're just kind of shaped like that that's you execute that which is great um but the founders like don't know you shouldn't do something i love that right and 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 from the outside i mean it just sounds complicated you know the idea of having subsidiaries in multiple countries in a global i mean that is it sounds like an extra layer of complexity on top of entrepreneurship which is already this incredibly (laughs) complex thing that most people let's just be honest fail (laughs) most businesses selling anything fail pretty quickly and the idea of saying oh i'm going to take on this whole global thing it's it's even more daunting do you do you feel that taking on funding was the right idea do you wish you'd bootstrapped things more um knowing that that's kind of a debate yeah we we had to looking back i would always like to form a path you know we, we could have maybe bootstrapped here but the only way we could have bootstrapped was by getting a large po from enough clients which never would have happened because we didn't have the trust or product to make that happen. Right. So with our model, we, d- we couldn't have, I don't think there's a way we, there it's possible. Um, so I'm glad we did. There's always, you know, how much should we raise? Should we raise less more? Could we raise more or less? Um, but I think it, it worked out at about as good as it could have because we just with the undertaking that we have like you're mentioning there's just so many costs going up front for it even to get us to the point of setting the whole infrastructure the whole network even like the mvp of the network is still a million dollars and then the food safety components the marketing components and you know all of this is so expensive to get to the point of revenue um and then you know profitability is even a deeper consideration. So, yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're at the profitability stage, which is always super excited for a company that's raised money. Um, so that's awesome. But yeah, to get there, I think we had to bring in that, you know, the millions. And for the people out there who might have an idea or some vague notion that they want to either start a business or something like this, what kind of advice would you have for somebody who hasn't yet taken the leap or is thinking about it? Yeah. Like we're saying about traveling, if you can just just do it and and i say that in terms of i think people get so intimidated by the failure please like a no is the biggest deal in the world to people like i i know is to me it's literally nothing like i i asked for something i didn't have it i asked for it i gotta know i still don't have it right. it's not like i don't have less of it you know like i'm still in the same spot um and so i've always taken that mindset and it's just been reinforced through building a company but like reach out to oh i would definitely say get a co-founder like building okay. something on your own regardless of the magnitude it's just it's not as inspiring like you don't have that person to hold you accountable you're gonna wake up one day and not want to do it for that day and you're not going to get you know anybody that holds you accountable there. Um, the next day you might, but you just lost a day. But reach out, make connections, go explore any group you can. I think the network aspect, people say it all the time, but cannot be undervalued. Like go, go to if networking's not your thing, like you're more comfortable behind a screen. Like type in LinkedIn, try to get on a call, just like meet people, form, a, get a group, go on like a Slack channel. I don't know, get into a group, a community, 
and then meet with co-founders. Lunch Club is a great app. You know, you literally just type in your information, who are you looking for, who are you, and they schedule, I think, up to three meetings per week or something, maybe even more. That's um, cool. You can meet cool people. Yeah, really cool uh, Lunch Club, I think just .com. And so I've used that to meet some cool people. But in, in addition to that, just you can do so, like the internet has every answer. So you brought up chat GBT earlier. That is even a bigger play now. If I would have had that, when I would have found that would save me hundreds of hours, literally, because I would just Google search and try to find how do you register with the FDA? What things the USDA compliance checklist, you know, trying to put all that stuff together um, is out there. So it's it can be daunting in terms of it's tedious and a lot of work, but it's there. It's not like the answers are unattainable. It's un, it's attainable. You just have to put in the work. And if you meet people, then they do the work for you. Like the referrals are just so bad. It saves you hours and hours and hours. So I would say just don't be intimidated. Yeah. Start. Don't try to be perfect. You're ne- like the first product is never going to be perfect. It's going to fail in some way or the other. Don't be scared of that. Take it as a win and just like jump into it. Yeah. Do you feel that uh, these people in your network keep you focused and keep you going in the tough times? Are there ever moments where you question what you're doing or where you say, geez, I made a horrible mistake or I'm on the wrong path? Do you ever have moments where you just feel like you took a wrong turn somewhere and it's too late to change it? Yeah, yeah. I I always try to, as best as I can, try to, you know, avoid regrets if possible. But with that being said, definitely. Like there's days, you know, as, as founders, like you invest most of the money back in the company. We're way underpaid, like market value, our salaries are nothing. Um, so there's a lot of sacrifice personally, financially, which is a big one. When I was younger, I'm still young, but when I was younger, I like that wasn't as big of a deal, but now you know, I'm 29 right now, it's still very young in the grand scheme of things, sure. but five, 10 years, like I'm gonna have a family most likely. and. I got to support people. Like now it's not just me going sleeping on a bench in, in Venice. It's yeah. me providing for other people to sleep in a shelter. That's a nice home. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes think like, God, do I just forego the, the salary? Is like go get a job and like advise from, from the far. Um, and then, you know, I'm telling you the first part, like people, it's just what it's all about. Like you have a co-founder, you have your team, you have all, we have all the right. network of people in East Africa that, are making it out of poverty hope like the goal being make it out of poverty so there's so much that we're doing it for but if i was just on my own building maybe just like a product or something um that's different than this yeah probably i don't know might not have stuck with it um probably not with all the ups and downs especially with covid you know everything that's going on um so yeah people are just so important that you got to have your your structure your backbones and people to hold you up I completely agree. And I think there's a sort of calibration that happened, a recalibration that happens when you talk to like-minded people. And that's probably been the biggest benefit for me doing this is talking to people such as yourself. It's a reminder of a certain set of values that exist in the world. It's a reminder of a certain type of person that exists in the world. And I do think, I mean, speaking just for myself here, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't go and seek it out. And obviously it takes effort to go and seek it out. It takes effort to make stuff like this happen or to network in any form. Like you said, it takes some form of you putting out a line into the world and saying, okay, I need to meet other people because 
I know for myself, especially with the internet and all of the social media, like, it's these kinds of conversations remind me of like, oh, yes, yes, this is what you're doing. This is why you're doing. This is what you care about. This is what you value. And the farther you get away from moments like this, for me personally, the harder it is to keep that voice as the primary voice in your brain and in your heart. Do you yeah, feel that absolutely. too? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Some of my, you know, you just ups and downs, humans naturally, right? Yeah. But the some of the biggest ups or the best days I have is hopping on a call. Maybe I didn't expect it to go well at all, but it's another founder. It's a like-minded person, like you're saying. It's, it's Ross asking great questions that maybe you didn't even think of before. Or it's just asking questions that lead you back to, yeah, that's why I did right. it. Right, that's why I did Listen, it. Exactly. Would you yeah, forget? Yeah, or... Yeah, or just getting you excited and inspired about what they're doing. And you're yeah. thinking, wow, that's so cool. I got to work harder or whatever it is. There's so many different forms it comes from. But if I didn't have, you know, such a great community that's super fortunate for or wasn't able to connect with people, as many people, I, I just the networks I'm in and whatnot, there's no way I would be, you know, as, as happy as, you know, as far as we've come, just any of it. People are just the, the lifeline. Because it seems to me, based on these kinds of conversations, that there's no real two ways about it, that beating the often path, as it were, is tougher. Let's say it's more effort, it's more work, it's deliberately choosing to take on something that's difficult when it probably would have been easier if you'd stayed home and just collected the salary and never attempted to do any of this, right? Just followed the standard path. But what we hear time and again is that as tough as it is, there is something else that makes that toughness worth it. And it also seems to illustrate the idea that things being easy isn't necessarily the goal of a happy or healthy human. That easiness is not necessarily a good target, contrary yeah. to books like The 4-Hour Work Week, which have sold everybody <laughs> on the idea that the less you work, the better. It's like, well, that depends on what you're working on. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't like what you're doing, then yes, the less, the better. But if you're like, I was able to help an additional thousand people last month because I care. Well, that's something else. It didn't mean it was easier, but something else happened. And, and yeah, it's the, it's all about the reward, right? Like, what, yeah. what do you see? What is your reward? Is it is it the impact, social, economic, environmental? That's you're going to have to work for that. It's not just going to be four hours, and hopefully, it happens by itself. Um, but yeah, I know if it's like work is strictly a monetary output and that's what it is, then yeah, probably less work for that amount of money is good for you. You know, it's back to the couch, like <laughs> Bluetooth, electrical right. couch, get back to that comfort, that physical comfort. And sometimes that does seem pretty appealing. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that statement, ignorance is bliss. There's there's truth to that. You can't ignore it. Sometimes I look at people and I'm like, how nice would that be? <laughs> like, what do you got to do today? Nothing. Drink a beer, watch the TV. I mean, that's pretty enticing. Do you have, are you stressed out right now? No. <laughs> yeah, I used to, uh, I was referred to as like the, the golden retriever. It's like the happy-go-lucky puppy dog always. Because yeah. I didn't, you know, I grew up in a very, you know, just a strictly like 90 plus percent white. Everyone looked the same. Everyone was kind of cookie cutter, like upbringing. Everything was the same. And didn't realize, you know, to the um, as much as you can, didn't realize what was out there. Um, and so with that like experience, there's, you know, you see suffering, you see positives, you see this hospitality, you see poverty, there's all these different avenues. So it's a different type of happiness. It's not like the happy go lucky, but I would prefer this, you know, even with some sadness that comes with it and, and some downtimes and you you go through bouts of depression, you know, whatever you go through, um, but that's okay. Just that's part of life. But 
I used to be just like always like wake up, oh, life is great, happy go lucky. I'm gonna go yeah. eat my little silver spoon and life is good. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, just different different types of happiness, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, I know you know some of this. And and especially when you talk with more gen- general founders, you get some of this sense of, you know, there's certain things you're not allowed to say when somebody's in, the, in a funding round or, you know, you, you're not allowed to talk bad about your company that you're trying to sell so hard. Uh, <laughs> but on a personal level, do you feel like your goal at this point would be to build this thing and sell it? Or do you say, no, this specifically, I want to be involved in this, in this way for the next 10 years, the next 20 years, the rest of your life? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. Where I'm at right now and where I think I will continue to be is I want to be involved for sure for as long as hopefully the rest of my life. That would be great to have some part of it, some strategic component of where is the company going. We've, But an exit is definitely a part of the plan. Like that's, okay. If you raise money, you got to have an exit um, yep. if you're going to you know, successfully take care of your founder, your investors. But I don't want to continue doing 80, 100 hour weeks for the rest of my life. That's just not even yeah. right now, like a, a 40 hour work week, like a nine to five and nine to four just sounds beautiful. Give me that. I'll be so happy. But I know as soon as that happens, I'm not fulfilled. Uh, unless, you know, depending on that, but like yeah. the traditional. Um, but so ideally exit still have a plan or still have an influence five, 10 hours a week or whatever's needed project based, maybe a new launch, like be part of that brainstorming strategy and innovation is my favorite thing. I love that. So just hope, you know, make sure the team is getting taken care of. All our network is being taken care of. It's still according to the mission. If that's happening an exit would be great. And then just maybe be on the board and just strategic advisor for X amount of time. Do you think that if you achieve that, are you addicted to this feeling? Do you think that if you did that, you'd be like, okay, whew, good thing that's done. And then you'd be like, okay, what next five minutes later? Absolutely. It would right. be a celebration of maybe like, maybe even a month traveling, maybe yeah, right. uh, okay. a week, a month, sure. like take your, like go do that, go see the world. Cause that's my other love. Um, but yeah, 100%. As soon as I get back or as soon as uh, that, like I'm bored. inspiration hits, I'm, so much I got to invent something. I got to go build something else for sure. That's, that's really cool. That's a pretty powerful stuff uh, for those who are listening. I, I'm I'm very in awe of what you've done. And again, four years just feels like such a short amount of time uh, to get it, <laughs> especially when you consider that it's like, oh, we had this peak and we've gone down because of COVID. I mean, the fact that that is contained within that very short period of time, it makes it even all the more wild, honestly. Because you lost, yeah. well, like two years. I mean, could you even travel during that time? Were you going, are, are you still going back and forth uh, to Africa on the regular at this point? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I try to go three, four times a year. My okay. latest one was summer of last year, fall, okay. last fall, last year, probably. Uh, we'll be going again shortly, I'm sure. We were in, we we're in Kenya. We do these uh, annual summits, if you will, we call them mangocations. And the whole team, the global team comes together. And we were in Kenya at the time and going to Tanzania to you know, meet more of our network and have all, maybe there's 50 of us there or something. Um, and the morning we were about to cross the border, that was when the travel ban was issued. And we had to just disband and then fly back home in order to, who knew what was going to happen, but didn't want to get stuck in the, you know, all together in one spot and not be able to run the company. And just like for personal reasons too. Um, but yeah, I mean, we raised our, our first round. March, we closed it right before COVID hit, really. So oh, our actual funding hit March 2020. Okay. I think it was. 
something like that. So yeah, I mean, I guess really funding purposes, three years we've had it, which is wild. That is absolutely wild. Well, I mean, I can't appreciate, I uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate you shooting the breeze with me and telling me your story. I find it profoundly interesting. And, you know, I, I seek out these just these stories. I have my radar up and my sonar. I just look at it and I came across it. I was like, well, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> that's yeah. one you don't come across every day. And I'm glad I chatted with you. And I, I think it's super inspiring. I can't wait to see what the next few years hold for you and for your vision and mission. I, I hope we can uh, stay in touch. And and since we are approaching the end of our hour, now I'd like to give you the opportunity to promote whatever you want to promote or where can people follow you or be a part of your mission if it's something they're interested in joining. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, thank you for this. such a fun conversation. Glad you found us. Um, yeah, it, I think the easiest way, we have a number of different socials, so I don't want to throw like 15 of them out at you, but if you go to AgriCycle global.com so a-g-r-i-c-y-c-l-e agri-cycle and global g-l-o-b-a-l.com that links to everything else so you can sign up for everything that's offered there you know go check out some of the products if you like them great if not it's all right maybe refer people that'd be wonderful um and just you know find your passion if it's not that then go find something else i think that's the key and to anybody who does that, you will discover not only what smallholders means, in case you didn't pick up yeah. on that earlier, but you'll understand a, a truly genius business model that's very clever and obviously has impacted a pretty impressive amount of people, even already. And I'm sure that will only continue. So, Thank you. Appreciate it. So, and uh, yeah, thanks for the conversation. Absolutely my pleasure. And with that, the official podcast recording is over. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Off and Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.